Hi guys. <laughs> uh, this is Carrie with Daily Confefe on Unsafe Space. And I'm sorry, we're starting a little late this morning. Carter is not going to be able to join us. Um, although Carter, I think it's still stuck on your screen. Just so you know. No, it's not. Okay, it's on mine. Anyway, uh, Carter's not going to be able to join us today because he's lost his voice or he's losing his voice. He's sick. And so Nicole, who's usually one of our uh, uh, participants in the chat, Nicole of the Mountain People is what we call her, is going to be co-hosting with me today. And I hope that you guys will um, uh, bear with me because I'm not great at the tech stuff and Carter's here to help. He's just quiet and he's in the chat. <laughs> and uh and we're doing a live cafe because it's friday and so we can talk about oh yeah uh uh pistifus says are we saying hi fem bags now yes hi fem bags welcome to hi, all fem bags. <laughs> welcome to nicole <laughs> hi hi carrie thanks for inviting me to join you it's awesome because every time i watch i'm like oh i wish i could like talk to them <laughs> while they're talking <laughs> Well, you are. And, uh, and thank you, by the way, for the microphone, because this one has been, since my other one broke, this has been a lifesaver. Um, Good. So Good. I really appreciate it. Uh, so guys, I wanted to start off with something that's, that's pretty topical. It's from the year 1490. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's not topical at all. I just am obsessed with it. I have a bit of an obsessive mind. Shocker, like probably many of you do. And um, some of you probably know more about art than I do. And you know about this um, Dutch painter named Hieronymus Bosch. But I was, I've only recently become familiar with him. And um, a friend of mine sent me a picture of his painting. They call it a triptych. It's basically like three pieces and they fold shut and they and then they open up and there's like three panels and it's meant to be read from left to right. And he sent me a picture of one of them. The one that he sent is called The Garden of Earthly Delights. And I'm gonna put it up here. Now this was painted in um, sometime they say probably between 1490 and the year 1500. And when I looked at this, I was just kind of blown away because there's so much happening. Can you see that, Nicole? Yes. Yes, I can. And I've seen this painting before. It's I crazy. think I've seen it in real life, actually. Where is it hung? It's oh, in, in Madrid? Spain. It's in Madrid currently. And I haven't seen it in real life, but I've seen a similar one, probably a, a different one of his works. But yeah, these are nuts. I mean, they, they remind me of, and I think I've seen part of this before. Well, I know I have because um, a couple of friends of mine were months ago, were talking about him at a party and I just wasn't paying that much attention. And they were, they, they, uh, one of my friends collects this kind of art and I wasn't really paying attention, but it kind of, I think I've seen it even before that. It kind, and it also kind of reminds me of um, much more modern stuff, doesn't it? Like, yes. Yeah. It, it's like fantasy almost you know kind of in that fantasy realm yeah there's this um there was this kind of pop art that was becoming really popular when I lived in Los Angeles about 15 years ago it probably still is very popular um I for, I'm blanking on what they called it but it was like acid trip kind of artwork um Camille Rose Garcia was one of is one of my favorites who does that type of art um 
And this kind of reminds me of that style. It looks like, I guess that's why it looks sort of modern to me. Um, and then also when you look at it, I mean, the content, the themes of it to me seem, you know, you know what it says to me? See this first panel here on the left, this is supposed to be a depiction of God in the garden of, of Eden. Of Eden. It's, it's like yes. the beginning. Yeah. And I'm just getting super depressed looking at this because I feel so much like we're in the last panel. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what I mean. So I look at it and I, I sometimes I'm tempted to think, wow, where we're at historically and in culture at the moment is the most narcissistic and the most um, hedonistic and nihilistic that it's ever been. And of course, that's not true. We're not uniquely, you know, this time period that we're in is not unique. And something like this reminds me of the fact that, you know, this is human nature. This is sort of like a, this guy, I think, is painting a warning of where um, human, I guess, like the, the dark sides of humanity, wh where the excesses of, of passions can lead us. And it's I, very old. I think that's a great point. I think when you're talking about how um, kind of the human condition has been around for so long, I think particularly now with people who are not well-versed in, um, in history, always seem to look back like, you know, even just, you know, a couple hundred years ago to the founders that they were like a completely different kind of human that weren't nearly as enlightened or as evolved as we are. And it's yes. like throughout history, humans haven't changed really that much. We still um, are, we struggle with the same things. And there's this arrogance of modernity to think like even the people 70 years ago weren't nearly as smart and as, and it's as enlightened as we are. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I even felt it when I was watching the, um, I watched a clip from like yesterday's impeachment thing with this professor who was talking about um, constitutional law and the intention of impeachment and stuff and talking about the framework of where the framers were at mentally and why they laid it out the way they did. And I think it so often gets lost that humans like in our brains, we haven't changed that much. And people before us were just as smart maybe even smarter as we fall down this idiocracy hole. Yes. So it's like reflected in that piece, how complex and um, that it hasn't really changed that much. We just think we're better. Yeah. And in a way it actually, this is, this is sort of um, encouraging for me because in a way it's, it's almost, it's almost like um I tend to think of us, this is encouraging because I tend to think that, oh, we're at this really dark place culturally and, you know, we don't have meaning and our society's become so hedonistic. And I look at things like, um, I don't know if you remember, there was a, uh, a professor who was caught on camera uh, screaming and screaming at, and I think assaulting the Proud Boys. And she, I forget, I forget where she taught at, but um, 
it, it was then revealed online. She had a whole website where she would like dress as a lobster and do sexual acts and stuff. And I'm like, I was looking at her lobster sex website and I'm thinking, what is wrong with us? <laughs> like, what is wrong with humans? <laughs> and, then, and then, but see, this painting is encouraging because it's like, look, we've been through this before. This guy in 1490 was like, you guys, we start out here on the left with God's intention. And you don't have to be a Christian to find meaning in this painting, I don't think. But you start out here on the left with, uh, uh, you know, God's intention. This is the Garden of Eden. He's in this picture. He's presenting woman to man. There's all the animals he's created. And then in the center, so that part's called Eden. And then in the center, this is called the Garden of Earthly Delights. And it's every kind of hedonism under the sun. <laughs> right. Most of it's sexual and perverse. And then on the right, this is the last judgment. This is hell. And the one thing I will say about his paintings, I watched a documentary last night because again, I get obsessed and I want to know more. And I've just started. So I haven't, there's a lot of his art I haven't looked at yet. But but in this one and in the other triptych I looked at, um, I like that he's sort of, he's painting. It's You could look at his work almost as um, a warning He's, it's prophetic. He's like, we don't want to go. This is, this is, this is an outcome of um, these desires taken to excess and meaninglessness taken to excess, but then there's no positivity. I'm like, where's the grace? Where's the, uh, where's the thing to look up upward towards, right? Like in this work, I come right. feeling kind of like you look at the final panel and it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like it's just bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm just still in my brain stuck on this professor that dresses as a lobster, and I'm like, does she <laughs> know about Jordan Peterson? <laughs> no, this <laughs> was before. I think it was even before. Mention lobsters to me. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> That's really all funny. just about him. Well, thank you um, for uh, humoring me and talking about something that's really not very current at all. <laughs> no, I, I totally love history. And I love thinking about that, how humanity hasn't changed. And I think, um, I wish I could share stuff like, but I'm not at all technical. Um, I highly recommend listening to the professor Jonathan Turley's, um, opening remarks at the impeachment. Okay. Because I, haven't, I haven't watched any he, of this. So catch me up. He, well, he talks about the intentions of the framers and really kind of hits on what you were talking about, how, you know, how crazy and even ruthless things were then. We look back on it now as sort of like they were just so nice and enlightened, but he sort of puts it into context that like, no, this things were just as, in, as intense. And he talks about the current impeachment being, um, closer in feel to the Johnson impeachment. And um, it was a real, I was really, really impressed. Oh, and that's right. I saw, let me, and then he tweeted right after I, I saved it. Um, he tweeted because he isn't really pro impeachment. He said that he doesn't think that there's actually um, grounds to do it. But he's a, you know, he was there with all the other uh, Democrat constitutional, um, what's the word I'm looking for, experts that they'd called, like the woman who like went after Barron. He was sitting on the same panel with them. So, so he'd been called by the Democrats. 
So, so what he, is this? Did they, per, I mean, I, I, I'm so like, give me back up and give me even more context. They brought I in, really I don't know. even know. Cause I okay. haven't been watching. Cause I'm like, I, I just can't even really deal. So I just see, um, you know, stuff that people have shared, but I have not been following it at all. But I did watch his full opening statement and I was so impressed with it as, you know, a political science major and a history buff that I just really enjoyed listening to him talk. So then I, I watched more of when he did, um, when he was questioned by counsel, um, which I enjoyed quite a bit. But so he gets done with doing his testimony and then tweets, my call for greater civility and dialogue may have been the least successful argument I made to the committee. Before I finished my testimony, my home and office were inundated with threatening messages and demands that I be fired from George Washington University. Wow. wow. And what was this guy's name? His name's Jonathan Turley, and he's a professor at George Washington. And you, I'll send you the links to the things. They're really cool. Um, but yeah, so that got me thinking today about doing a series of um, portraits, kind of of people who've been canceled or like mobbed kind of in like a patron saint card format. I'm, I'm starting in January. Oh, I'm doing like, like a, daily, a daily portrait um, class challenge for January. So I'm excited about that. And then when I saw his tweet about how, you know, how quickly they came after him when he didn't completely toe the line, um, you know, and now they're trying to get him fired. And I was thinking, because when I watched what he said, I was like, I felt so good and comforted that it felt like there was actually an adult. And um, I just felt good that there was somebody who got up there and said, I don't like Trump. I didn't vote for Trump. But here's the long term ramifications of what we're doing in this process. And I left it being like, you know, I don't agree with him politically, but I admire his integrity for sticking up for the whole country and for the constitution. So I was like really admiring this guy. And then they immediately go after him to try to get him fired. And so he started making me think like, I want to do like a patron saint card of him. So then I started thinking, Ooh, I could do a bunch of people that have been canceled or mobbed like Maria Tuscan or, yes. Therese Nielsen, the magic card artist. These people yes. who, you know. People who've been canceled. I yeah. Know you saw, but um, th there was a new uh, hit thing that came out on, um, is it Katie Herzog? Who was a lesbian writer who writes for The Stranger. And she's, she's someone who's just, um, because of her not towing the line, as you say, even though she's on the left, um, she's been called uh, I, I think most recently, the, mo the most recent smear I saw called her a white supremacist apologist. <laughs> like, right? Just way over the top. Like, what are you talking about? And it was a picture of her and Megan Murphy. And they also called Megan Murphy some equally awful and incorrect things. And it's just funny how these, if, if, it, if you repeat a lie often enough, it just becomes the truth. Some, yeah, like an accepted truth. And, and, that it, and that it doesn't matter when, it, it, if the person is on the left, like this guy you're talking about who says 
you know, the, this Professor Turley who says, I didn't vote for Trump and I don't like Trump, but, you know, I'm, and then he explains principles, it sounds like, right? They don't right. understand principles. Ideologues don't understand principles. So it's, they view everything as you're either with us or against us. It's like, there's no such thing as a universal principle. Like I, I believe that we should not engage in witch hunts, for example. Um, and that doesn't matter if the target of the witch hunt is with me or against me. It's, it's like witch hunts are wrong. <laughs> and that's what yeah. his whole speech was really about, especially how he ended it. The, the, um, oh, and I'm going to slaughter it if I try to even recreate it, but talking about, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking his name, but, but an argument just like that, where would you give up the, the righteousness and justice mm -hmm. just to go after somebody you hate, you give it up for yourself as well. And, um, it's really beautifully put. I highly recommend that everybody in chat and watch, watch it. It's, um, oh, and I saw in chat, somebody said, Mike Harlow, duh, put not him on my list. What did you say her name was? What Herzog? Uh, Katie Herzog. Yeah, you'll have to look her up as well. I'll look her up. So just quickly, thank you to Activist for uh, donating in chat, the super chat thing. He says, donate if you're part of the Fembag crew. Thank you. <laughs> really funny is that Andrew says, I'm not sure if I can accept the Fembag label. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> Get in the Fembag box right now. <laughs> It's just such a fun word to say. I don't it is. You're so silly. <laughs> um, so speaking of fun words, uh, Nicole added to my list of words for uh, Joe Biden. Alternative names for Joe Biden's tour, which, <laughs> which the no malarkey, I, I'm being serious. I'm not being silly when I say that I actually really like the name of it. It makes me, because it makes me happy. That's why. No malarkey. Me too. I love it. <laughs> I love old words though, but I yes. think it's so funny and it's just beautifully awesome the way that like makes him it like does. I'm not actually gonna say BS because that's something classless that Trump would do let's go with malarkey no malarkey <laughs> no malarkey and he yeah it's a it's it's almost he doesn't you know there had to be people on his campaign staff who were saying okay, boomer, you know, this is going to yeah, make exactly. And, and he still said, no, I'm going with no malarkey. <laughs> right. You, there had to have been somebody in the room before they painted that bus that said, I don't know if this is such a great idea. I think they're going to make fun of you. And yes. he was just like, listen here, Jack, what, what is it that he always says? Um, here's the deal. Here's the <laughs> My deal. bus is going to say no malarkey. <laughs> so we had, a. Uh, 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 Carter Carter said no hanky panky. We had no tomfoolery, no uh, oh gosh, no shenanigans, no monkey business, no funny business. And then you added a word that I could barely remember ever hearing: no skullduggery. It's just such a funny word, <laughs> but it actually it doesn't mean the same thing as malarkey. So i it means more like actual like crime or you know bad things not just bs so i don't think it would really apply to him i don't think well, he could use I think, that I think it but goes, it is a great old word it's an old-fashioned word it goes in there oh so somebody in chat says no ballyhoo that's a good one I didn't think no ballyhoo yes 
Well, there, I put some others in there that are not necessarily the same as malarkey. Like canoodling is one of my favorite words for making out. No canoodling. And oh, no, that's a great word. Um, no spooning. So, you know, we, we talk about spooning. As, what do you, when you hear spooning, what do you think that means? Exactly what everybody else thinks that means, laying next to each other, like front to back. So in the 20s, spooning. it did not mean that. It meant like making out. And, oh. and I learned this because when uh, my grandfather passed away, we were, he had a lot of books and we were going, you know, um, cleaning out the house eventually. Um, and this was years ago. And he, and he had a book, there was a book on the dangers of spooning. And it was a really, really old book. And it was all about, you know, the flapper, the, the, the flappers of today and these modern girls who want to entrap you into spooning I mean, spooning yes oh yes. that's fantastic no necking <laughs> was, either the necking, no is, necking is one that has gone away and yes. no flim flam that's fantastic no flim flam. gardener um, chat i don't know can you guys see my cup this is my favorite cup let's see can you see it or is Would it backward by today no i can see it that's great, <laughs> that's great. um Okay, so I want to talk about something else. I didn't give you a heads up about this one because I just read it right before I joined. And, mm -hmm. but that's okay. We can go through it together if you're up for it. This is a piece that I saw uh, that was just written for The Nation magazine, which is a magazine. It's a progressive magazine. It's on the left. It's a magazine that I used to subscribe to. And much like the ACLU, I feel like the the nation has sort of lost its way. I can't, <laughs> believe, yeah, I can't believe they published this. This is um, a hit. Oh piece. my God. Yeah. It's a hit piece on Colette basically. And for those of you who don't know about Colette, um, it's, I, I, I view it as a godsend because I was getting so tired of everything being so partisan, you know, whether you're talking about left, right partisan, or then of course, the overwhelming, um, just like the stuff that the, the mainstream media talks about and the legacy media talks about that's not important, where it's like these short takes on things where they haven't done deep dives, where they talk about like the Newsweek article that, that um, um, Carter and I talked about the other day, where they didn't even look at the study they were reporting on. It's like, they, they just talk about surface level stuff they don't really, uh, they don't link to source material because they don't want you to go in and read source material. And so Colette is so different than that. There's a lot of academics who write for Colette, a lot of actual intellectuals, not these pseudo intellectuals on CNN. Um, and, they, and they write these very long pieces um, with lots of references and really, I would say thoughtful and nuanced pieces. And it just, it's something different. It's long form um, opinion pieces and uh, it doesn't really have, if anything, if I had to say what camp does it fall into, it falls somewhere in the middle, the centrist area, but it definitely is critical of my old ideology. And so for that offense, that sin of, of having a lot of pieces published that are critical of SJW ideology, it's, it's being smeared as uh, in this piece by Donna Minkowitz, you're going to see it called everything from racist to alt-right to very far right to um, basically she calls it a Nazi site, essentially, because um, she uses that word in the piece. 
And I just, I, I, I was reading this and I'm like, this is a great anatomy of a hit piece. And it might be cool just to read through some of it and see how they do this. Do you want to do that with me? Yeah, absolutely. So I just, the headline. just the, you know, <laughs> yeah. But repackaging discredited race science. I feel like she's never even read Colette. Yeah, well, she definitely, she mischaracterizes several of the pieces that she talks about, and then she doesn't link to them. So the reader can't actually go and see, is this true what she's saying? Um, <laughs> she starts off talking about Stephen Elliott and a piece he did um, about being the, the, and he's on the left, right? So she's trying to explain why people on the left are writing for Colette and how what she she wants you to come away from this piece with the idea that Colette is racist and dangerous and super far alt-right and you shouldn't read it and you should be associated with it but she has to explain why you may have heard that some liberals and leftists write for it so now you know why she's doing it goes back to what you guys were discussing about the fallacies about um the what is it the genetic fallacy because I get that a ton where yes. it's like, I won't even look at your source piece because that's, you know, anybody that reads that stuff is an idiot. So yeah. she's laying tracks to just show to everybody like, okay, from here on out, if anybody tries to prove a point with Colette, just out of hand say, no, I won't, you know, I'm not gonna read your racist Nazi piece. Yes. And yet, and she has to, she feels like she has to, um, it's not like with Breitbart where Breitbart is, I mean, they tell you what they are, just like Colette tells you what they are. Breitbart tells you we are on the right, okay? They don't have to go out of their way to explain why do liberals and leftists write for Breitbart because there aren't a lot of liberals who write for Breitbart, but there are liberals who write for Colette. And so this whole piece is her saying, trust me, it's a Nazi site. Now let me explain why some people on the left write for it. <laughs> but it's so, I'm, that's why I like Quillette is because it has such a diversity of opinion. And it's one of the few places that really does mm -hmm. really have diversity of opinion. And so the, this whole thing is just irritating to me that <laughs> she would write a, a hit piece on it. And, and the way that they attempt to smear everybody in the you know IDW as it is. For those of you who don't know, IDW is like a shorthand for what's called the intellectual dark web, which is started off as a joke. It was a um, it it was coined by um, Eric Weinstein, uh, the brother of Brett Weinstein, who's the professor who got ousted or essentially had to leave Evergreen College because of the one of the craziest SJW meltdowns that's ever happened on campus. <laughs> and if you have, if you don't know about Evergreen, you should look it up. But anyway, IDW has now become almost um, a, a, a way that people who are SJWs use it just to kind of, they use it in the same way they use Nazi now. They use it in a, a derogatory way, I guess. Um, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I like, I don't, I don't mind the term. I think it's kind of funny. But anyway, that's, if you don't know what IDW means, that's what it means. Okay, so let's look at some of this piece though. So she's she's talking about people who write for it who are on the left. Um, Cass Sunstein, who was Barack Obama's regulatory czar. She talks about Phyllis Chesler, who's a second wave, second wave feminist who wrote a piece. Um, and she bashes her as Islamophobic. Now, if you look, there's things like this where 
old school journalism would feel a need to, um, if you're gonna call someone an Islamophobe or say that they write Islamophobic stuff, you should actually have to back that up. You can't, you shouldn't be able just to say it like this, but she does that throughout the piece. She just makes, says it as if this, as if this slur is just a fact. Um, she goes on to then talk about um, some of the uh, other feminists who write for the site. And she of course calls them TERFs and um, transphobes, that kind of thing. So she's, it's all of this sort of, when we talked about in the, uh, the, the fallacy, logical fallacies, she's using ad hominem attacks. So she's name calling people. She's using this um, guilt by association thing. So if you look at this paragraph here, Colette was founded in 2015 by Claire Lehman, an Australian who in 2017 also served as an on-air contributor to the Canadian far right, anti-Muslim. I don't think it's accurate to call it far right, or nor do I think it's accurate to call it anti-Muslim, but she just throws those things out there. Uh, network, Rebel Media, where she once delivered a quote report titled, How Feminism Has Fueled Obesity Crisis. Well, okay. Feminism may have fueled an obesity crisis. Like <laughs> that's a funny little like sarcastic quotes on report. Yes. Oh, yeah. She puts that. Yes, you're right. I didn't catch that. She's. It's insulting, right? She's trying to insult her. Yeah. But but again, what's so damning about a piece called? She says it as if that's something damning. I mean, if if she were writing this about us, she would say, and they did a piece once called. Um, and, the, and she could list the title of any of our videos. Well, you would think that she would find something that might support the claim that it, she was working for a far-right anti-Muslim network. Yes. But, but there's, so, there's I mean, there's nothing, nothing is available to prove any of those. It's like, we'll just make her mad, you know, it's, it's just obvious. What, so then she goes on to her. talk about uh, one of her, now this is guilt by association. They love to do this. Who have you ever, uh, who's ever written for the same paper as you or worked for the same place as you or who have you ever been on a show with or anything like that? So she mentions Faith Goldie and says she was fired after participating in Unite the Right rally. So uh, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong in the chat guys, Faith Goldie was not participating. She was there reporting and she did an interview with some white supremacists. And she was too buddy. She was like buddy buddy with them, if if I'm recalling this correctly. Um, but all of that is beside the point. That because because Claire Layman is not Faith Goldie. Why is why is she talking about Faith Goldie in this piece? Guilt by association. So then you have to get into who Faith Goldie is, and they love doing this. And who does she bring up next? Gavin McGinnis. Of course, um, their favorite right. one to bring it in. Like, it, please just tie everybody to Gavin McGinnis. He's like the Kevin Bacon for them <laughs> right <laughs> you know the six degrees of gavin mcginnis so we can smear everybody but he's not even like a, you know this well I think what they say about him i find to be completely false i mean this idea that you know he's the founder of the western chauvinist group proud boys yes. that's true which rewards its members for committing <laughs> violence against leftists Really? Because the way that I see what he does is actually fights Antifa. Yes. So I'm not, I haven't, I should, but again, she wants you to go down these rabbit holes to figure out what this means. Um, I think I'm pretty sure this is a, if you get hit, you hit back thing that they do. But 
but again, why is Claire Lehman having to answer for something that Gavin <laughs> McGinnis is a part of? She shouldn't have to. This is again, guilt by association. So there's nothing that she has to say about Claire that is damning other than she wrote a report or did a report about how feminism has fueled the obesity crisis. So what does she flesh out this paragraph with? Stuff about other people. And I'm like, that. that is one of their go-to ways of smearing people. It, when, if they ever wanted to smear me, they would say, um, who has appeared on Gavin McGinnis's, you know, now defunct alt-right, super right-wing show. <laughs> because, because Mike Harlow and I did an <coughs> walk away. And before we went on that show, we, we actually had people saying to us, don't go on because they'll always be able to say, that you know you're a Nazi sympathizer because you went on a site, you went on a um, a show with this guy who we've successfully smeared, and so now since we've successfully smeared him, we can link you to him for having ever talked to him. And and in the end, Mike and I both decided, screw that! Like you're not gonna stu- you're not gonna prevent me from talking to people. And so wait, are you telling me that now that I'm doing this with you? <laughs> oh yes. my God! I gotta go. you're totally smeared for life now right I mean I'm guilty by association now and it's it's back to that six degrees of separation of Gavin McGinnis I I didn't realize I was a Nazi but here we are who once appeared on far right (laughs) Nazi provocator website (laughs) that's that's exactly how exactly how they would do it my kids are gonna be so disappointed (laughs) (laughs) um okay it goes on I don't want to spend too much time on this but there's one part that's really amazing that Carter pointed out I sent this to him and he just sent back this screenshot that said hello Nazi and it was this it's this part where she starts talking about oh here it is fascists she says um uh blah 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 one fact that progressives ignore at their peril is that fascism is opposed to the democratic capitalist state. Many fascists use the slogan, neither left nor right, because they want to convey a deep antagonism to the current political structure without actually supporting left-wing ideas like popular democracy or a society without hierarchies. So how can you say that without any evidence? It's like, I could say, many fascists write for the nation magazine <laughs> like, that's just i mean at this like, point now she's just painting every single centrist anywhere yes. as a fascist yes so what they do is they try to they try to make certain uh, <coughs> like we talked about in the logical fallacies video they will pay attention to what uh critics or free thinkers say, are, are saying now that people are speaking up against the belief system and so they'll hear something like straw man and then they'll they'll say you know they'll start to either use it or they'll start to say this is what far right people say so for example overton window she even brings up overton window in this piece the overton window is a phrase about like it's it's basically the window of acceptable dialogue at at any given time culturally and a lot of people who are critical of of leftist authoritarian ideology of sjw ideology i think correctly myself included, correctly say that the Overton window has moved further to the alt-left, further to the uh, radical left. And so now you get people like, you get liberals like Dave Rubin 
being called far right by Mother Jones. You right, because they're back. actually centrists. I mean, yes. it's moved so much that centrists, I mean, you're, you're kind of like pretty left if you're an actual centrist at this point, if you're in their new Overton window. Yes. It's just, you know, a normal person in the middle now really is looked at as like a far right Nazi. <laughs> it's crazy. Right. It's, it so, really is crazy town though. But so they take, they take that criticism and they hear people talk about the Overton window and then they go and they say, and we know this to be true because there were leaked documents, internal documents from Facebook that had a list of, um, for employees, a list of, um, words and talking points that far right it said something like far right trolls and white nationalists use and on that list was sjw and on that list was overton window and i'm like whoa they're really trying to paint and, and so that's what she's doing here with this phrase where also where she says um you know fascists like to say they're not on the left or the right okay well yeah so, that's so she's that's putting centrists in her yeah. little net and yes, getting and so, to redefine what it is because they're constantly redefining. Right, but it's also an attempt to, if you notice, it's an attempt to prevent you from saying certain things. So now you don't want to talk about the Overton window because you don't want to be called a Nazi. And now you don't want to say, well, I'm not on the left or the right because you don't want to be called a Nazi. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's what it does is it cuts off it actually, they look at the, the effective criticism and then they do hit pieces where they say, if you say these things, you're a Nazi. Okay, well, I can't... Like, but we're running out of things that are acceptable <laughs> to say other yeah. than, you know, absolutely exactly what they tell you to say all the time. And the rest of us are just Nazis. Yes. Which the word it has completely lost its meaning. It's, it's at the point where the word is just lost all its power. Yes. Well, Carter says in the chat, neither left nor right is fascist because to them, Anything that's not radical leftism is fascism. That's true. That's actually true. The the Antifa handbook, which Carter has read, they they define fascism as anything that's not Marxist. Like they define it that way. But again, but I also think it's just a tactic of theirs is to, to label fa as fascist or verbatim, to label as something taboo that you can't say, anything that is effective so they don't like you using the word sjw for example and i get told this all the time it's a pejorative well the reason they don't like you using it is because it's it's the most well-known descriptor of their ideology if, if another if there was another word that was more popular i would use the other word and sometimes i do use identitarian left or whatever but if another word becomes more popular they will then say fascists use the term identitarian left <laughs> And so then you can't say that. Do you know what I mean? They did the same thing with cultural Marxism. They're like, racists use the term cultural Marxism. It's like, okay, I guess I can't say that. But, uh, but it's an attempt to control language. And if you control language, then you can control what people are allowed to criticize and what they're not. If you can't name something, if they, if, if they, if they won't even allow you to give a name to something, then how can you criticize it, right? Right, so, they, they control thought with controlling language. Absolutely. And they do like everything they seek to control jealously and viciously go, oh, go after that power of controlling language mm -hmm. just to control our thought. So somebody in the chat says, Daniel says, where's Carter? Is this a strong independent woman show now? <laughs> <laughs>
joining. If you're just joining, we've, we're doing a rebrand, okay? This is <laughs> feminist Kefefe hour. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, Carter is uh, coming down with something and he's losing his voice. And so today we are lucky to be joined by Nicole of the Mountain People, who's often in chat. And today she's on camera. Um, okay, so I'm wondering, actually, Nicole, did we ever talk about, you know, the last episode you were on with me when you were here? Mm -hmm. we talk about your background in like belief systems or is that something you'd be interested in talking about because you you're sort of you have you always been independent kind of in the middle I have kind of always been independent in the middle I um I don't really want to bore people with me too much but um I was my parents were republicans and conservatives and I grew up conservative um, and then I ended up walking away from the right. Um, and the other day, in fact, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was talking about um, walk, the walkaway movement, which I joined because I'd walked away from the right. And I found this thing that felt like home to me that was like in the middle of leaving both parties and their craziness. And just um, I felt like it was a really good representative of where I was. And where I still am. So you, however, right. I did walk away from the right. I actually re-registered as a Republican. I don't know. I think last year, just in case people, I don't know. I just did it to be snarky because I was irritated at how they go after Trump. Mm -hmm. um, I really do think Trump is doing a good job. I really don't trust um, any of the old school Republicans or any sort of entrenched career politicians. You know, I, I'm really down with cleaning the swamp. And um, that's, that's in, why I ended up voting for Trump was almost as like a troll of my, myself, just as a joke to be like, I'm voting for the hand grenade because I want somebody to go in there and blow it all up. <laughs> so that was my reasoning. But I realized I was talking to, I might have been talking to one of my sons that the, um, the walk away is to Democrats, what the Tea Party was to Republicans. And it got completely twisted and smeared by the media labeling the Tea Party as alt-right, like racist, hateful. Um, you oh, know, wait a you minute. know how they dealt with the Are Tea Party back when that happened? Are when you the Tea saying Party that the, started like marching? Are you saying that the Tea Party? Because I don't know that much about the Tea Party, other than because I was in the super SJW left at the time. Right. So you yes. would have believed what they said about the Tea Party, right? Which but my wasn't question, what they were. But my question for you is: what when you say they're the the to the Republicans, what walk away is to the left? Are you saying the Tea Party was full of people who left the right? Yes. Oh. They they were Republicans who were leaving the establishment party because they were sick of all the like moral majority nonsense and Republicans not being fiscally conservative, but then they were completely smeared in the media as, you know, just Islamophobes, homophobes, all of that. It was almost like the media was protecting the establishment Republicans, wow. but it was people moving away from that party. And they ended up actually changing the party, I think a bit, but yeah, the way that I see it, cause I was kind of involved in both tea party and 
walk away is it's people that are leaving the entrenched establishment of both major parties and just getting sick and fed up. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this is very interesting to me because I didn't get that memo at all, that there were people who had left the right and, and being someone who was ensconced, like in the very authoritarian left, the SJW left in a very small part of the left, which has now become a big part of the left. Um, yes, the message that we got and that, you know, I, I was like an NPC, like all these people. I just, I watched the same legacy media that a lot of my friends still watch. I was told what to believe about everything and I just believed it. And so um, the perception I had of the Tea Party was just that they were a bunch of uh, racists and Islamophobes who um, couldn't stand the fact that a black man had been elected. And, I mean, and, and, and I worked with right. a lot of comedians who made jokes to that effect. I mean, a lot of the comedy that my clients were doing at the time was um, kind of using the Tea Party as a punching bag. Well, from my perspective, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a bunch of people who were really sick of their own party. And then they just kind of got smeared and it got co-opted kind of like, you know, the, the Republican party, I guess they actually moved more toward the tea party to try to pull those people back in. So you could say that they co-opted the message, but I mean, that might be a good thing overall, but then, I mean, like Obama used the IRS, weaponized the IRS to go after Tea Party people. And that's been proven with the Lois Lerner things that she was doing where they were um, specifically targeting political enemies and not giving them, you know, their, I don't know all the ins and outs of what you have to do to set up programs or, or uh, organizations. So I don't want to get sidetracked into all of that, but it was just a thought I had the other day. I was like, you know, I think the tea party was just like walk away. Maybe I'm just constantly looking for this group of people who are leaving like the establishment. You don't want to be on the left or the right, Nicole. You're a Nazi. in the middle, (laughs) (laughs) directly in the middle. That's where I want to be, but I'm super grateful for walk away because that's how I met you. Even yes. you know those sort of, um, yes, things. But so the thing I actually wanted to talk about today was right before you got on, I was texting with my sixteen-year-old, who's at school in the library doing work, and he mentioned to me something about how the school Wi-Fi has PragerU and Louder with Crowder and Ben Shapiro blocked, so he can't watch those at school. Wow. Like what? Really? And he was like, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, can you check on these other ones? Cause I wanted to see if they have just all political commentary kind of stuff blocked or what. So I had him check young Turks and democracy now and Russell brands, the trues and Trevor Noah and John Oliver. And they're all allowed. Plus Rush Limbaugh, I had him, I was like, is Rush Limbaugh there? And he was like, yeah, that's here. But obviously nobody his age watches Rush Limbaugh. They don't have to block it. They don't view Rush Limbaugh as a threat. So I just was like, you're kidding me. They're letting you watch Trevor Noah or John Oliver, you know, people that have opinions, but they won't let you watch PragerU at school. So I'm going to have to make some phone calls this afternoon. 
I love you. I love <laughs> I love that you're going to get involved in this. This is what I mean about people speaking up just in whatever way they can, or, you know, it doesn't have to be starting a podcast for anyone watching. It's like, if you're, if you have children and they're in the school and they're, they're being, um, you know, certain views are being censored, but others are not like, yes, say something if you can, you know? Yeah. Like, well, I feel like I have to, or else, you know, I'm not having the integrity. I so admired in that guy who was speaking before Congress yesterday. Um, Oh, and I saw something floating around Facebook about how horrible it is about kids not doing the Pledge of Allegiance. So I asked my kids, do you do the Pledge of Allegiance? And my middle schooler said, yeah. And then I asked my high schooler today and he was like, yeah, but only like three people actually do it because you have the option of sitting down and sitting out. And then my middle schooler piped up and he was like, yeah, in my class, it's only like five of us do it. But there's this one boy who's from Russia and he stands up and he does it. And then he yells at everybody else about not doing the pledge for the country <laughs> and how disrespectful it is. I love that. <laughs> I, know, I was like, what a wonderful kid. Cause he gets it. And you know, 12 year olds who were born in America, I don't care what their gender is, what their race is, who they want to be in love with they're extremely privileged. So they don't have any backstory. And why would they care to do it? And to have a little Russian kid be there, like, uh, you need to be saying the pledge. Just made me so happy. <laughs> yes. Well, this is sort of what we've talked about before on, on Unsafe Space, which is that um, just anecdotally, Carter and I both have noticed, and I'm sure you have, that a lot of times it's uh, immigrants, legal immigrants, but the immigrants who are uh, the, I would say the most vocal against illegal immigration and also the most vocally patriotic. Yeah, they're the <laughs> best Americans. They're literally <laughs> the best. And that's what drives me crazy. Cause I, you know, I get accused all the time of being anti-immigrant just because I want, I think, you know, I know the wall isn't gonna solve everything but I think doing, you know, some, common sense reform to be able to monitor who we let in and how they get in. But because I feel like this is something we should address, I'm anti-immigrant and I'm racist, but I'm like, but not, I'm really not like immigrants are my favorite. <laughs> they really, there's all well, the immigrants I know are such great Americans. Well, that's immigration is one of those areas that has changed in the in the Democrat on the Democratic Party in in just the past five six years. It's the position has really changed significantly, and, and a lot of, I think has, a lot of that has to do with my old ideology, SJW ideology, sort of taking over all of the left or most of the left, because Obama used to talk about, and, and Obama was called the deporter in chief by. Um, a lot of the SJW groups I was a part of, I was a part of a group called Culture Strike, um, which is an immigrant rights group. You know, we went down to the border. Um, we, it, it was, it was all about, we did, we did campaigns about trying to change the language, speaking again of changing the language, because you can, you can change the way people think when you change the language. We had entire campaign, letter writing campaigns of trying to force journalists to quit using the terms, um, uh, illegal immigration or illegals, illegals, illegal America, and start using instead the phrase undocumented immigrant. And so, um, 
and that's been successful. If you look, I would say, if you look now at journalists, it, it, almost all of them use the phrase undocumented. It's like, you can change the way people think about stuff by controlling the language. And so um, anyway, I was a part of that group and, and, you know, there was a lot of criticism for Obama and Obama was just a short, you know, few years ago, the democratic party was talking about, we need to get more better restrictions and better protections uh, at the border. And we need to get cracked down on illegal immigration. It was, it was saying all the same things, which are now considered to be far right. It used to just be common sense. And now it's right. Like, oh, it's far right to want to curb illegal immigration, but to keep right. those open, obviously for legal. So it's so strange. It is. I mean, to, to be called a racist, just because you bring up national national sovereignty is it's just like the upside down that's how I feel like we're living in just this bizarro world of everything moved so fast so quick and swung so hard left I mean I think it was kind of chugging along in that direction but since the complete mental breakdown of half of the country after the election now the media is on board with it and it's just like the train is bearing down with literally everybody's racist hitler you know homophobe nazi do you think it's gonna backfire spectacularly in 2020 because i do i think walk away is bigger than they they realize i hope so you know i don't know i i really hope so i do hope that trump gets reelected. um Nicole, forget about you because smeared by association with me. I'm going to be smeared by <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. No, I'm so sorry to say that out loud. I Whatever. know I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> I, you know, my second choice is like Tulsi. I like Just Tulsi. because I love outsiders. I'm always walking away from the group and I'm always choosing the grenade to throw in. Yes. <laughs> so those are my two favorites. Um, Carter in the chat says, uh, he's the undocumented president. <laughs> Please send him right. taxes, everyone. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, yeah, language matters so much. And earlier in the chat, uh, we, we were moving pretty quickly through topics, so I didn't hit on it, but Maria pointed out that she says in a recent article in Pom Pom magazine, uh, Sophia Tron and Sophia Tron, if you guys don't know, Sophia Tron on Instagram <laughs> is one of the ringleaders in the SJW knitting cult, which targeted people like Sockmetician and Tuscan Knits and went after their businesses because, <coughs> you know, and, and, and basically libeled, libeled them and called them things that they weren't, called them racist, called them all kinds of horrible things and um, tried to affect their livelihood. Um, anyway, Sophia Tron just did an interview for Pom Pom Magazine and she, or an article, and she wrote about how they had to change the definitions of words in order to win the battle with the knitters. I love that they admit it. They, they just openly, you know. It. It's, it's mind blowing. I really, yeah. every single day, I kind of just walk around and go, I don't know. Well, as everything's crazier every single day. It's like how, you know, there can't be satire anymore because we're towing the line. You can't get any more absurd. Yeah. They will openly admit the, the thing about controlling language at, at, at times. Um, it's funny, you know, Orwell, we just did in book club, obviously we did um, 
1984 pretty recently and Orwell wrote a lot about that even in, you know in his um, nonfiction you know just writing about the book and stuff he wrote about how if you can control language you can control people and that's why that's why language is so important and if you look at my all belief system there's so mu much of it that's about language whether well, it's redefining words and making and coming up with new definitions for them or i've been fighting that since college honestly um during some of my seminars like it was you know that was almost 25 years ago already where it's been the same thing. And that was kind of like when the idea of hate speech would be banned on campus. And I have been fighting against banning any speech since then. I remember get, like doing our argument papers against this one kid who was very, well, he was an SJW is what he was. That wasn't the huge movement like there is now where everybody's an SJW. But he made the same arguments about like, we have to ban these words because they hurt feelings and the overall, you know, the long-term emotional impact. And that was his argument. And my argument was rooted more in John Stuart Mill and just about liberty. But I have been fighting against people muzzling other people, whether it's specific words or now like whole ideas it feels like my whole life yeah because I just don't and for me it comes down to like well you can ban this word that's fine but you can't ban the idea behind it or the thought behind it people will just come up with another word to use to symbolize it because the word is arbitrary well it's, it's not just the banning of words though it's what concerns me more well that's one part of it banning of words but also um forcing you to say certain things and, and getting you to using your compassion to manipulate you into acquiescing. And then, and then once you've accepted the new words, it changes the way it necessarily changes the way you think about things. And so just think about, say, we want you to use undocumented American from now on. And so you say, well, that's not that big of a thing. Why can't I? Okay. It's, I have compassion. I'm going to say in documented American, if it makes them feel better, I have compassion for illegal immigrants. I'm not, you know, so I start using that word. Well, you, what they've done there is they've made you think of this person as a citizen now. Right. Exactly. But which, which is why I would always refuse to do that. Yeah. You know, I don't, because that's not how I see it. I, I see value in sovereignty and citizenship. And I'm not, I don't feel like we should withhold citizenship from people. I, like I said, I love immigrants. I really, really do. But I don't feel like that kind of, I, I don't know. I feel like the insidiousness of how they control that language and throwing away the importance of our our sovereignty and our founding documents and the idea of justice itself for me is it's something worth fighting for. I was watching a podcast yesterday and um, they were talking about social justice and the guy said, well, justice doesn't need a modifier. And it just like really struck me. Like you don't, you, of course you don't have to put in, another word justice is justice and it feels anymore like we're really seeing a slip 
further and further away of blind justice. Not that, you know, it needs a modifier, but <laughs> yeah. true justice. That's a, I haven't really thought about that before the modifier social, but yes, I mean, that makes sense because they're all about collectivism and about group identity and what group do you belong to? And they view everything, they view you based on what group you're in rather than viewing you as an individual. Um, so that makes sense that they put that word social there first because that would explain why, just like with a lot of things with them, it explains why if you look at something you say, well, this isn't really just, but they could say, but it's socially just. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just for the group. Well, because when they throw that word on there, it stops being about justice and it starts being about power. Yes, that's a good point. That is a great point. So um, have you seen that little, that cartoon about how, um, it's, uh, I'm sure you've seen this, but it says, you know, um, uh, a liberal looks at, like, let's say there's a building that has stairs, but no uh, wheelchair ramp, right? Mm -hmm. And a liberal looks at that and says, well, let's build a wheel wheelchair ramp next to it. And an SJW looks at that and says, let's get rid of those stairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's social justice. <laughs> no right. one to the building. <laughs> like, <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, so I'm gonna have to go soon because I have to go to work, but you yeah, guys- Yeah, I have to go pick up a bunch of kids. <laughs> and I evidently have to call the school now. You gotta call the school and then let us know what happens. All right, I'll find out. I want a full list of every single website that they banned from the Wi-Fi, and I will. And how did they make that decision? I'm curious. Exactly. Who decided that? Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have any questions for Nicole before she takes off, before we take off? This has been a very active chat. I like that even though he's <laughs> losing his voice, he, he, uh, rallied, he got out of bed, he took a nap, a sick nap, and then he got up and he's in the chat. Talk about April harder. Oh, <laughs> do you have a quick second, Nicole, or do you have to go? Yeah. yeah. What's okay. April harder? <laughs> oh, Okay, she's the professional SJW on Instagram who went after me and Carter and also Maria um, and who called us uh, um, Nazis and white nationalists and said we were racist, but never, she did a whole lecture, an audio lecture that we listened to because I was like, is this worth addressing? But she never said anything about what we said. She never pointed to anything we said. She never gave any, where's your reasoning that we are racist? Because there's nothing to point to. Um, absolutely nothing. And then she lied and said that we said that people of color are racist. And I was like, no. And Carter made a funny joke. He was like, no, we said SJWs are racist, not POCs. Like you got your acronyms wrong. <laughs> but anyway, um, so this woman went after us and we looked at her profile and she sells all these courses and she has like this, this, um, a bunch of people donating to her monthly for her emotional labor. And she sells all these courses on how to teach. She's black and she t teaches white people how to unlearn their toxic. She's one of these people that teaches you how to unlearn your toxic whiteness and stuff. Like all that snake oil salesman crap that people pay like guilty a lot of money for. So here's the best thing though, that this is why Carter said, talk about her and Carter. I wish I had had this queued up because I don't have the screenshots. Like we should have the screenshots before I, we should have waited to do this, but let me see if I can find them real quick. So she, somebody, so one of the knitter, knitters, knitters 
sent me um, some screenshots of what she's doing now because she completely scrapped her whiteness business and now she's doing astrology. Okay, hold on. Here we go. <laughs> She's quite the entrepreneur. I was going to ask, like, how do I get somebody to pay me to do the emotional labor that they feel guilty about or whatever? Like, I need to get in that racket. Yes. That's like Al Gore selling offsets. These are good rackets to get in. Everybody has so much guilt and they're just willing to hand out for cash. Oh my gosh. Well, you have to have no scruples. I mean, it's like, um, like my friend, is that showing on the screen there? Yeah, I see it. Um, okay, Carter's showing it. Um, you have to have no scruples. Like my friend, one of my friends, he says, you know, who's black and he's very anti-SJW. He's like, look, if I if I had fewer scruples, like I could totally make a killing off of white people. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, and he's not wrong. Like you could do that. But anyway, I guess she wasn't making enough money doing that because now she's doing this. Carter, can you delete that? I'm going to, I can't really read it on yours. So I'm going to share it from my screen. If you're listening. Um, okay. I'm sharing this now. <clears throat> Sorry guys. Sorry guys. There it is. There it is. I hear an echo, Carter. Okay. I don't know if you, can you guys see this? So mm -hmm. this, is her new, this is her new thing. Uh, astrology readings. Somebody sent me this live with April Carter and then and she's got her licensed therapist thing. And so that was kind of funny. And then <laughs> this, this is the part that really made me laugh. Um, this was also on her Instagram. She says, I solved the mystery of racism. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time to close this chapter of my life and move on to the next. The word that's missing there is grift, the next grift, right? And I then, solved the riddle, the mystery of racism, and now I'm off into the sunset to leave this work behind. Yes. I wish I could read the rest of it. It says, did I invent a psychological theory? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm intrigued. Did you? <laughs> she says, I know that it's, that it's hard to see so many changes happening to my business. I guess she's having to explain to people who've been sending her so much money, why she's suddenly changing from um, uh, counseling you on getting rid of your toxic racism and white, your toxic whiteness into telling you about astrology. <laughs> and she's like, my field of work, it's time. I've solved the riddle, like you said, the mystery of racism. And now I'm off into the sunset to leave this work behind. What's really funny about this to me is when you think about comedy, a lot of comedy is exaggeration. So you take something real and you exaggerate it to such a degree that it's funny and it, and it shows a truth about something, right? And I was saying to Carter, you can't really exaggerate this. Like if I was going to make fun of this, I would have a character who's like, I've solved the mystery of racism, but she's already saying that. You can't, there's no way to exaggerate it. Like, like it's so arrogant. <laughs> right Does that, it's like you can't really make fun of it how many likes i i see in the chat it says how many likes did she get on that stupid post and i didn't even look at the likes what oh i don't it, know how many I, did she get 
I think it was a lot of likes. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Okay, no, this is the the last one I'm going to show. And this is perhaps the best one. Um, this is the one that Carter was trying to share a second ago. And th again, you can't really exaggerate this. So it's immune to satire because it is satire. It reads like, it reads like comedy to me. The level of wisdom I was dropping on Instagram was so deep <laughs> that people questioned whether or not it was for real because the rest <laughs> of the influencers and educators said something altogether different than me, but it was all the same. So everyone thought that what they taught was legit and helpful. As I mentioned the other day, it was far from it. White people in general really don't know what it is that they need, that they don't need when it comes to anti-racism work. <laughs> it goes on it goes on but the level of wisdom i was dropping on instagram was so deep really really wait the truth oh sorry I what what part were you i don't know i just the end there the truth is that this work is deeply psychological and connected to a history of trauma as it pertains to white survival on this earth it's sad but true connected I okay i don't know she's I don't know. over my head i think i don't she's dropping no no she's way deeper than you nicole she's dropping right. wisdom way deep and well you know, i wish she would take my money so she could explain all this to me but she's since she's moved on i've already got you know an astrology app i use <laughs> whatever <laughs> you don't need to get your chart read <laughs> i'm good I just wonder if some of the people who are contributing monthly are like, wait, what am I contributing for? Like if, if, if you guys like <laughs> you guys who support us, like you're someone who supports us on subscribe store. If, if tomorrow we were like, you know what? Unsafe space is becoming an astrology outlet. <laughs> <laughs> just completely changed it. It would have to be something that I, I mean, that I would have to be like completely not interested in though. But like, you know, and I tune in and then all of a sudden you guys are talking about like NASCAR mechanics or something, <laughs> like tuning cars. <laughs> Just like, welcome to unsafe space where we talk about vehicles. <laughs> I have to say vehicles because I don't know anything about cars. I can't I don't need more than that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, thank you for humoring us and we, we got to talk about our our number one um detractor i guess you would say <laughs> who's now doing astrology it was kind of funny um thank you guys for tuning in thank you for bearing with us through the technical issues and uh thank you again to everyone who supports us by sharing the videos if you're watching it will help us if you hit like it really does help to hit like on it and um, if you support us on, several of you support us on uh, Subscribestar, like Nicole, thank you very much for that. And um, apparently somebody donated $20 today to Carter and told Carter it was for him editing and that he should buy me something nice. And he said he's gonna buy me a coffee, which I don't think is nice enough. So sorry. <laughs> you guys, maybe he needs to get me a hat. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'm just ribbing you, Carter, because you don't have a voice and you can't, you can't talk. He says, I'm cheap. <laughs> anyway, thank you, guys. Thank you, Nicole. Bye. Thanks for having me. I loved it. Good luck with the school today. Thank you. And let us know what happens. Okay, I bye, guys. Will. Bye.